Uh, If you've been with us, we're in a series through Exodus. And we haven't spent a whole lot of time in the actual book. Uh, We'll be in chapter 2, 23 through 25. We've spent most of our time currently reviewing the story so far. We're getting to a point in the series where all of that's going to start paying off big. You see, Exodus is epic. Like, it's huge. The thematic elements of this book set the stage for the plot line of redemption throughout Scripture. Like, this is the story of going from slavery into God's presence. Something we, as the people of God now, can relate to. (laughs) Be careful where I stand, I guess. Um, it's a journey from kingdom to kingdom. It's a journey of God's people from slavery to a seat in his presence. And that journey begins in the garden. If you've been with us, we've talked about a lot of covenants so far. And I really, really, really want you guys to grasp these. They're the promises that God has put on himself as guarantors to us. That's a huge deal. He's literally changed the way in which he's interacted with reality for us. That's exciting. He has adapted to us in order to see our redemption. Now, in order to know where we've come from, or where we're going, we need to know where we've come from. The first covenant God made was in the garden. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. God promised to be just. There would be a penalty for wrongdoing. Adam and Eve did not heed that, and they were kicked out of the garden. which seems pretty terrible. They were excluded from the presence of God, and humanity has had difficulty recovering since. But before he did so, he promised an heir. He said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God's promise of one who will redeem. A savior. There will be one in the line of Eve who comes and fixes the problem and brings us back into the presence of God. Outside the garden, humanity went rabid. First with the murder of Abel by Cain. And we saw that trend continue. In the accounts of Noah, we saw that people were incredibly violent to the point where God could not allow them to continue on that path. And he flooded the whole world. He saved one family. He saved one family from the line of Eve. But after that moment, God promised restraint. He promised mercy. He said, I will not show that kind of wrath again, even though we deserve it. After we get to Abraham, and God further picked an heir, you see this line coming through. And he said to Abraham, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God's promise of inheritance. He reissued this promise to Isaac, the firstborn of Abraham, and then again to Jacob. 
And he says, I will be your God. God's promise to be their provider, God's promise to be their protector. He said, I will curse those who curse you, and I will bless those who bless you. Cherish that. Hold on to that. But we're going to see today, and we're going to really examine the tension of how those covenants work. Because in the moment, we don't always feel those covenant promises. Right? Like, there's a disconnect. When something bad is about to happen to us, God doesn't just instantly rewrite the script and save us from that. But we have to experience sorrow for some reason. We have to experience the loss of loved ones, death, murders, assaults, slanders, financial difficulties. We go through these things, and then God says, I will provide. I will protect. I will bless you. I will curse those who come up against you. And there's that tension there that I think is very real and very relatable. God's first covenant that He will be just set a stage for us in reality in which we have to contend with suffering. There are consequences for our actions. And they go farther than what we can even imagine. The earth cries out because of the wrongdoing of humanity. And it's all around us, some greater than others, marriages failing because of selfishness, fortunes lost because of pride, lives taken because of hate. The world feels the groaning. We groan along with it. Humanity has been traveling outside of God's design for millennia. Freshwater, we've been born outside the garden of God's presence. And it's often we don't feel comfortable in God's presence. The sins of the generations before us are stacked. But where does our help come from? See, God's covenants are the blessing. They are the providence in which we can survive. They're our only hope. Regardless of wrongs, God shows mercy, and that's something that we need to hold on to. And we're going to see how that plays out in the story of Exodus today. If you would, take a posture of compassion and empathy. As we go through this text, really try and live through some of the difficulties in your life. The moments where there's no hope. The moments where you're lost. Take time to reflect on that moment. The longer you've been a Christian, probably the more you've had and the more comfortable you are during them. But not everybody is strong. And our faith is challenged regularly. Lord, I just pray that you be with us. For we are lost in a desolate place where the blood cries out to you, where we see the destruction of humanity. We see the consequence of sin repeated over and over and over, and we are naive to think that it's going to end anytime soon until you bring retribution, until you fix the problem. Lord, we rely on your covenants today. We expect you and call out to you to be just. 
we expect and call out to you to show mercy on those who repent. We expect you and call out to you to bless us with strong relationships with the posture of the redeemed. God, we are hurting. And your spirit groans for us, but we are hurting. We carry pain and we carry baggage and we carry hurt and hate and confusion. Look at your people, God. Do not hide your face, but hear our cry today. If not for us, for our family members, if not for our family members, our church, if not for our church, our community. We are surrounded by people who are looking for a Savior, and you have promised an heir, and we have seen that fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And may that gospel of redemption and power bring life to us and resurrect us, Lord, and give us a perspective of success awaiting your enthronement as you slowly begin to rework creation and as we patiently await you coming back so that we may escape this trial. We praise you, God, and I ask that you open our hearts to be comforters and to bring peace to those around us. In your name, amen. So, if you've been with us, we've traveled through Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 2, 22. Up until this point, we really haven't seen God. He hasn't really been introduced. Well, today he be gets introduced. And the, you start to feel the power of the, these passages really rolling. We've, no, we've noted the people of Israel moving to Egypt. And they've multiplied. The Lord blessed them. And they took the commandment of go forth and multiply very seriously, much like us. We've been blessed with the families growing. Not just spiritually, but physically. I believe his kid is like busting at the seams right now. And that's a blessing, church. And we see that echoed early in the book of Exodus. That despite what the world is putting against the people of God, they're growing. And then we see Pharaoh, this ominous figure, this powerhouse, this man who controls a nation and controls the impact, or he thinks he controls the impact he has on the people of God. And he makes a decree that all the firstborn males should be thrown in the Nile. Like, can you imagine that? Like, if you lived next to the Nile at any point, and you just see bodies of children, like, going down the river to the Mediterranean? Like, that would have been, like, the magnitude. Like, if the number of people is even somewhat accurate of what historians think. Like, the magnitude of just children going down a river and you are ordered by your government to do nothing. And if anything, add to it. Like, that's a, like I don't even know how to fathom getting there. But humanity does get there. Like, this isn't isolated to just this story. Like, every generation has a tale of genocide. And unfortunately, it affects children more than it does adults most of the time. Like, we're not that far removed from these people. Like, our capacity for evil is real. 
We have a whole nation, maybe even the people of God somewhat, if there was a grudge or a frustration, we're acting out of hate and murdering children. And then they would retell stories of the covenants. I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Can you imagine saying that to someone who just lost their child? Like, and not just like they passed naturally, but someone violently taking them. And you say, and you remember these passages. How bitter would you be? How frustrated would you be in the reality of your situation? I believe we can sympathize with these people. And we, we are dealing with the question of, is God faithful to his covenant? And the people at this point in the, in the text haven't seen faithfulness. They're in, they're in slavery. Their children are being killed. They have no way out. So the very real question is, is God faithful to his covenants? Are the things he promised real? We've gotten to this point, but maybe that was just by chance. Maybe it was just by destiny. It's hard to look back and realize the hand of God. And it's hard to say that maybe he had a plan in those moments. And those are bitter words. Now, the tension here is really dealt with our perspective versus God's perspective. God experiences time a lot differently than we do. Now, I understand philosophy better than I can teach it, unfortunately. Because um, this is some pretty heady stuff. Uh, not only am I not eternal and divine and omniscient, um, I'm also very limited on the amount of time I can dedicate to so, it. There's a big gap between us and God, in summary. And the way he experiences the world is very different than us. We can really only hypothesize what it's like based on what he's revealed to us in Scripture. So I'm not going to try and break it down super concretely, but essentially God exists outside of time. And the way he perceives events are different than the way we perceive events. And that's unfortunate for us. At least we feel that way because we have to experience tragedies. Like we go through difficult times. It's a blessing and a curse. Because sometimes, if we're being honest, we initiate the problem. And if God had instant wrath, like we would all be dead, like instantly. Like if God was instantly initiating suffering and pain for your sin. Like, how could we, like, for real, like, it's like just gone, gone, gone. It's like, no one would talk. No one would do anything. You'd be in, like, a little hut all by yourself for the fear of the wrath of God. So the way God has made it and planned it he also says, I am sympathetic to it. And we see that again in his covenants. The way his wisdom is the foundation of the world, Isaiah says. And the Psalms echo it. And reality is part of his wisdom exposed to us. We're able to glean from nature and the normal way of life. And there's a correct way and a wrong way to do things you ever done like a project or anything, you see that. Like there are things that take way longer when done incorrectly. Whether it be gardening or construction or baking or cleaning. 
Like there's a certain right way to do things that are just more efficient, right? And God says, this is my way. And there also can be gleaned examples from that. We can glean from our reality and what we're going through. So this term that we've been using as one of our main themes, covenant faithfulness, is also mentioned as steadfast love in Scripture. And it's echoed, if you've read the Psalms recently, whenever you see steadfast love, think covenant faithfulness. The Hebrew turn of phrase that says God is going to endure all wrong, God is going to provide, God is going to fulfill his covenants. And the reason those authors can say that is because they look at Exodus and they say, yeah, he did it. In the midst of our greatest turmoil, he did it. In essence, God is never going to give you up. God is never going to let you down. God is never going to run around and desert you. God promises to work through humanity to bring about a savior of the line of Eve and the line of Abraham. And God promises that he will be their God. God promises to provide for them and protect them against those who curse them. While we are going through suffering, God's covenant faithfulness is called into questions. Phrases like, how can a good God let something like this happen begin to populate our thoughts and our conversations. Whether in sanctification, heartache, peril, or want, God's faithfulness is challenged. And in turn, we are challenged to be faithful. I talked earlier about the perspective of the people of Israel, something we can definitely relate to. I can definitely relate to. Whenever I'm going through a stressful time, a time where I just feel afflicted, and I've had a pretty good life, so like, it's all relative, right? But for me, there are moments where I had such desperation, like I couldn't fathom like continuing. I would hope for death. And that's very counter to God's gospel. For he is the wellspring of life. And I would hope for death because I couldn't figure out how to live in this world. I couldn't find joy. I often struggle with apathy, a nihilistic approach to life. Like, what does it matter? Like, it's all going to work out or it's all not. Like, we struggle with those things, and that's part of being the people of God. Like, we can look at the Word and resonate. Like, this isn't a bad or shameful experience. And often we, in our current culture, look to be soothed, look to be entertained, look to be bettered. But it's okay to hurt. It is biblical to hurt and to sit in pain and sorrow, if not for yourself, for others. It's okay. It's what helps connect us to the divine. It's what strengthens our faithfulness. And we ask again, is God faithful to his covenants? And when we've had those moments, when I look back at those prayers and I read my journals and I see passages, I can say yes. I can look back now and say yes. God was faithful. I was in a place of great depression and turmoil and frustration with my life. I couldn't imagine being past 30. Like, I couldn't fathom the weight of that. Like, what would that be? Like, I couldn't live a day past 30. That's what I would, like, think about all the time. I'm going to be 30 in February. And I'm married to a beautiful woman. I have great friends in a group here at Freshwater who love me and cherish me and I can help encourage and they bring joy to me and I so often lose sight of that because I've had a long week 
because I've had difficult conversations, because things don't work out the way I want them to. But in those moments, I have to train myself to preach the gospel. That there will be a day, there will be a time where things will be better. We will cease the pain. God is redeeming us. And in doing so, bringing others to life. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25. Now, again, we haven't really seen God. And this passage is going to basically retail everything up to this point. But it's going to be from the perspective of God. This is his official introduction into the book. This is where he becomes very, very active. And I, I, it's for me, when I read it, I, I think of that moment in a TV show or a cartoon where like everything's going wrong and then that one messenger or that one message gets to the main character and it's just, you know, and it's to be continued, right? You just know, oh, you you get pumped. He knows, right? During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God knew. Like just that epic music. Like you just know it's about to get real. Right? And God knew. And every time I read that, I get like emotional because he does. I can, I've had enough experiences that I can look back and go, yes, God is working. Now I want you to look at the passage again in verse 22. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And I've spent a lot of time so far expressing the various ways, like it's not exhaustive by any means, but the various ways in which we groan And this is what spurs the reaction. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenants. The act of their sorrow, the pain in which they felt, the petitions in which they gave to God, He remembered their covenants. He remembered His covenants. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Exciting. But again, we see what spurs God's remembrance. It is the act of prayer in petition, in pain, working through pain. A groaning is what the text says. I want to encourage you to groan. It's often that we hide our problems
It's often that I hide my problems. For one reason or another, I don't want to be a burden. Someone else has it worse than me. God is working and I'm just not ready yet to talk about it. You don't have to necessarily do it in community, but you do need to process this. Specifically, through prayer. It is by prayer that we spur God's remembrance of his covenants. We see him quicken. He sees us and he knows. I wrote a poem a long time ago. Uh, like I said earlier, I was very depressed. Um, and I was reading a lot of the Psalms. There's some harsh stuff there. I was really into like Lamentations and Ecclesiastes. Because I one, I was encouraged that this was part of the biblical voice. Uh, and then two, like it just resonated with me. And so I thought I'd write a poem. I thought it was pretty good back then. It's not the best, but I wanted to share some of it with you. Um, the title was Nothing is Fit. If that explains kind of where I'm at at that time, uh, it does give you some insight in where I was. Run down and defeated. I can't explain my pain. Words just repeated, all action in vain. My burden's too heavy, too great my mistake. Grasping the last straw, how much more can I take? The volume unmuted, I heard your voice. The curtain pulled back, do I have a choice? I want to praise you, but nothing is fit. I want to serve you, but nothing is fit. I don't want to do anything, because I don't know what to do. I don't want to say anything, because I don't know what to say. Your presence overwhelms me. No action, no word would suit. Your presence overwhelms me, leaves me paralyzed and mute. And that's real. Like, I experienced that time and time again. The comfort of God, the great comforter. There's healing in praying through pain. If you're suffering today, if you are stressed, if you are depressed, if you are carrying a great grief, I encourage you to pray and ask God to be faithful to His covenants. Ask God to be just. Ask God to be merciful. Ask God to reveal the heir of Jesus Christ, the one Redeemer who brought us back into his presence. Ask him to have mercy. Ask him to provide. Ask him to protect. Ask him for a heritage and an inheritance. Ask him to be your God. And he listens. Time and time again, he listens. There's a story later on in Exodus where Moses is with God. It's in chapter 36 if you want to check it out later. But God says, I'm going to go to destroy all these people. All of the people of God. I'm going to restart with you, Moses, and your family. And Moses says, you can't do that. Your covenant." God honored his covenants on that day. And Moses stood as an example of what was to come. God promised to be just, but he also promised to show restraint. And Moses in that moment reflected to us what will come in Jesus. For we are not alone 
The Spirit of God dwells within us, and Jesus himself petitions to the Father, just as Moses did. He petitions to God saying, remember your covenants with these people. There's a story in the Gospel of John. where Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. And all hope for that family seemed lost. And like my imagination runs a little wild in that moment to picture the grief of, that, of his sister. The hysteria of losing someone specifically someone so close to who is the Savior, the Messiah. Again, that is God faithful is called into question. It's challenged very deeply. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I will bring life. I am the wellspring of life. I am the bread of life. Like, and I can picture... Picture her using those words against him in that moment. And the pain she felt for losing her brother. When the one who was supposed to take away the consequence that was death was right there. And Jesus in that moment, saw the struggle and the sorrow and the difficulty of humanity. And Jesus wept. He groaned with them. He cried out with them. He had empathy and compassion on someone who was struggling someone who couldn't recognize what was going on because of grief. It's real. We are in grief. It's prevalent. Those we love die. Those we love suffer. And we are constantly challenged to believe in the faithfulness of God. And Jesus can sympathize with that. Jesus wept. And what happened after? He brought life. Lazarus was raised from the dead. No greater miracle. Raised from the dead. And I don't think the chain of events is by accident. They groaned, they cried, they suffered, and then Jesus raised them from the dead. We see in Exodus, they groaned, they cried, and God remembered his covenants. And God saw. And God knew. I hope you're getting this. And if you're not going through something right now, something heavy, something terrible, I know you know someone that does. And who is? And part of our job as the body is to act as Christ. To find those who are suffering in our lives and sit with them in that. To take on their suffering. And then plead to God. Groan and cry out to God. Make sure He knows. That's part of our community. That's what makes us work. Right? Like, so often, whether it be in like life groups or discipleship, um, I'm surprised 
by the amount of people who haven't had really close relationships. Someone, because often whenever you talk to them, like, well, they just get me. They, they know me from my worst things, like whenever we share testimonies in life groups. Like there's something that happens there. Because a lot of people don't share those intimate details. And it, because there's a fear of being judged, of being misplaced, of being thought down upon. Like there's like a legitimate fear that insecurity is real. And then they find out that these people are still treating them the same. And in fact, they're working with them. They're not looking down upon them. They're like, this never happened to me in my whole life. And they're blown away by it. And I look at it now, and I'm like, well, that's pretty normal. Like, that's my daily. (laughs) And I lose perspective on how important these things are for people who have never encountered them. Like, it's huge. Like, they remembered me. They cared about me. They listened and heard me. So I'm going to encourage you guys today, pray. Pray for those who are hurt. And if you don't have anybody that comes to mind, know they're out there. Something that... uh, I want to talk about is heavy. Um, and it's unfortunately it's prevalent. And it's the issue of sexual assault. The reason I bring it up is because it's everywhere. Statistics show that one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. One in 33 men. Child Protective Services Agency sustained or found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children a year in America were victims of sexual assault. And a majority of child victims are 12 to 17. These people are hurting. And they, it messes with them constantly. If you have experienced that, reach out for help. And if someone reaches out for you, groan with them, sit with them, plead with them. God will show faithfulness in those moments. God will remember His covenant. And I want you to know, if you've suffered, God will hold them accountable. There will be wrath for them. There will be judgment. If they are unrepentant, they will suffer. And we see later on in the book of Exodus the magnitude in which he takes this seriously. Ten plagues. The destruction of an entire nation. And we've seen how serious he takes it with Noah. The destruction of the entire world. And we've seen how serious he takes it with Sodom and Gomorrah. The complete destruction of cities. Like this isn't light. God looks at this and says, I will avenge. I will protect. I will curse those who curse you. God is working. And it is our job to groan with those who groan. The areas in which we, our church, specifically Freshwater, are called to have a higher chance of suffering. Specifically in sexual assault. Because of their poverty. 
because of where they're at, just because of economics. They're being taken advantage of. Whether it be in foster care or within the family. There's a tremendous amount of hurt. And it is our job and our duty to cry out for them. To understand and sympathize with their pain and to say God sees this and he is not okay with this. And God will act. God will move. So what do we do? I want you guys to really be thinking through the covenant promises. Pray through the covenants. Whether it be in your marriages, in your families, in your life groups, in your workplace, take time to consider others are hurting. Take time to consider others aren't feeling successful, feeling put together. That others are rationalizing within their head, this was okay. Probably my fault. I can't continue. Like we carry this stuff around us. And you don't have to wait to be told. You can perceive it. It's around us. And it is our job and duty to be there for them. Work to align yourself with those who need help. Help bring them from slavery of death into a kingdom of His presence. Be aware that for many of us, our faith in God's covenant is on its last thread. And encourage each other from glory to glory. Pray that your eyes be open to the hurting, not only in your life, but in those around you and in your community. Seek them out. Pray that God is just, shows grace, blesses those who follow him, and curses those who are cursing him. Align yourself with the covenants of God. And so align yourself with Christ. you would pray with me. God, we look to you. You are where our help comes from. The turmoil and reality of our situation real. The pain is real. As we examine our plight in life and where we're at, help us to understand where we're going. We ask you to be just. We ask you to not be blind to the wrongs happening in this world. We ask that you bring grace to those who are repenting, for there is a terrible price to pay for causing suffering upon creation. A terrible price to pay. There will be a day of wrath the great day of the Lord. Where you rip apart reality to expose the atrocities in this world. You shred the earth and the heavens and everything is brought into account. And you bring judgment on them. If not now, then. And we believe you to be just. We believe you to be one of steadfast love 
in covenant faithfulness. We believe and affirm that Jesus Christ is the one at the right hand of the Father pleading our case. We believe that you will show mercy on us if we repent. We ask that you bless us and our families and you attack those who seek to bring harm and hurt and turmoil and pain. Lord, we ask you to correct this world, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I know not how how you will move. And honestly, it terrifies me. Because I know I'm accountable. Because I know that my sins have caused great pain, but I also believe that your death on the cross atoned for that and you gave me a chance to escape those consequences in eternity. Thank you for that. And I praise you as I look back at my own history, my own salvation history, and I praise you for being my comfort. For you are good and slow to anger towards your people. God, show us your face. Speak loudly to us. Listen attentively to us. And act swiftly for us. For we are a people of unclean lips, striving to be children of God. Put the burden of others on our hearts. Put the pain of others on our hearts. For we groan out and we cry against the atrocities in this world. And we ask you to bring justice and bring correction so that we may be able to bring life. In your name.